I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on tonight's episode. The magazine is here. We have a limited supply, so get your orders in today because once we run out of this, we'll see how the orders go. But we we we'll, we we may do a second run here. But for now, if you want to get it in, you want to get a, a physical copy for sure, get your order in today so you can get one. Uh, it, they are officially at the Will Miles household here. And uh, we want to walk you through for four bits. We'll walk you through a few sections of the magazine, give you a little uh, uh, physical preview here tonight. For six bits, according to ESPN, Florida will play the third toughest schedule in the nation this season. We'll break down those games and compare it to some other tough schedules. And Billy Napier says the Gators plan to add a fourth scholarship quarterback this offseason. So we'll get to that to wrap up the show. But first off, Will, the magazine's here. It's real. It's in the driveway in some boxes today. I finally get to see it. This is my first time seeing it too. So it, it's 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 a real deal, man. We got it. Yeah, man. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. I'm holding it up to the screen. It's it's you know a labor of love. There hasn't been a whole lot up on the website over the last month or so because you and I have been working on this and you know learning along the way. You know you don't know who your printers should be. You don't know you know what your typeset looks like you you know i know you had to go out and get some help from some from some folks in terms of the cover and making sure that it looked professional but we think it looks pretty professional at this point and you know it's 72 pages specific to florida gator football um you know it's it's something different than what you get out there when you order a lindy's or you order a phil steel or you order an athlon and those are all great magazines don't get me wrong in fact that's kind of one of the things that we that we sort of modeled it after at least a little bit but then said hey how can we expand it so there's a lot of cool stuff in there if you want to get your copy you can go to readandreaction.com slash mag that's readandreaction.com slash mag they're for sale there we have hard copies on sale by the time memorial day weekend is over we will have a link there as well if you just want an electronic copy it'll get sent to you as a pdf if you want to do it that way um and so you, you go over to readandreaction.com slash mag you can get an electronic copy or a hard copy and uh, help support us over there. We appreciate it. It's, uh, you know, we did it last year. It was all digital sort of, I don't want to say, I don't want to say uh, cobbled together, but I think it's a much better product this year. I'm, I'm proud of it. And it's something that I think quite honestly, you and I both feel could sit on a newsstand somewhere. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and that's honestly where we hope this goes in the future. But for now, we thought it was best to uh, do it ourselves this year. And, uh, you know, we're doing Every every piece of this outside the printing, we hired the printer, but every piece of this was work on those you and me, Will. So that, that, that's fun uh, to to see this uh, actually come together. That's what that's why I sound so excited that it actually exists. Not that I'm surprised that we actually got it done. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. There were a couple of days there where we were sitting there going, "What day do we have to get the file to the printer?" And, and what needs to be done there? And Tell yeah, me you know. what the absolute latest, what, what our absolute wiggle room is here. Like, yeah, we we kind of we, we got a little creative with some deadlines there. But well, the, be- we, the best we part was is the look on your face when I when you realized I'd lied to you and told you the deadline was a week early because I knew we yeah. needed more time than we were going to have. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, we have another week? Like, yeah. oh, you just saved my life. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're not mad at me for lying. Like, 
No, yeah. it's it's uh, it's a lot. There, there's a lot of cool stuff in there. We'll go over in, in four bits, but I think people are going to enjoy it. Um, it's what you come to expect from the website in terms of statistics and and film breakdown and recruiting and recruiting breakdown and all that sort of stuff. Different than last year. Different than the other preview mags. You know, I think last year we followed more of a preview mag format where we had special guests who wrote some stuff. We had sort of Q and A type of things. We had um, you know full sort of roster layouts and things like that. We, we trimmed that back. Um, you know, last year was 150 pages. It was all digital. We didn't have to trim it back. But I suspect there was stuff that people slip or that people uh, flip past just because it either wasn't interesting to them or because, you know, it was it was something that we were like, oh, we can put it in because we've got an unlimited amount of space. We had to curate. I mean, there's some stuff that hit the hit the uh, the cutting floor when it came to the magazine. And, and we'll probably make that available to people a little bit later on in the season. But uh, as for now, we, we're, we're pretty proud of what we got here. Well, let's uh, let's dive in here. Let's let, let's show some people what what are some sections that you're really excited about in this magazine. So this is one I'm really excited about. Again, if you're on YouTube, you can see it. So what we did was we actually took plays from the film. We broke them down. We've got them diagrammed, what the offense is doing, what the defense is doing, verbally telling you what happened, down distance situation, everything like that. We've also got a QR code here. So you can you can put your phone over it. You can hover your smartphone over it. It's going to give you a link, and that link will take you right on YouTube to where that play is. So you'll be able to see the play that we're diagramming here with the time and, and – uh, with the time and situation and a summary of what happened and sort of, you know, the, the goal there was to take you through the Tennessee game specifically um, and, and give you reasons why Napier's offense looks the way it does. Mm -hmm. So what was open? What did Anthony Richardson miss? What did Anthony Richardson do? Well, what should it, what should the quarterback have done for that, for that read? You know, why did they run this play this way? How do they run their flood routes off of the, the, the zone read runs that they run and things that quite honestly, what can, what kind of quarterback like Graham Mertz do? Whereas there was some stuff where it was just, Hey, Anthony Richardson special. And he's gonna be able to do that. The other thing I'm really proud of and, and well, you should be proud of it. Cause this isn't me. I didn't do this. You can see these, these 2023 sec recruiting maps, and so these are just beautiful maps that show where all of the recruits um, for the 2023 class came from. So you start looking and, you know, the idea that Georgia goes way away from Athens in order to recruit, that's not what you found. And the fact that Florida is going way outside of Florida, that's not what you found. I think what you see is that Georgia is infiltrating Florida, certainly for the elite, elite players. And so when you start looking at what does Florida need to do, because you've got all the SEC teams in there. So Alabama, how often do they come into Florida? Georgia, how often do they come into Florida? And then how far do they actually go from their regional maps? I mean, obviously you look at guys like, uh, like, like uh, Jaden Rashada coming from California. Hey, that's a special circumstance, but for the most part, you've got a, you've got a limited geographic range that you're recruiting from. And so to see that, on paper and say, Hey, what does this mean for LSU? Like how does LSU recruit and how does that impact teams like Auburn and Arkansas or Florida? What have they done? And how does Georgia and Alabama and what they're doing play in? You know, there's sort of a moat between Florida and other States. So like going up to North Carolina, you're going to have disadvantages because North Carolina is a lot closer to Georgia than it is to Florida. And so do you have to just skip over the state of Georgia or is Florida going to have to start to make inroads into the state of Georgia pretty significantly? And so you went over that pretty extensively. And then there's one other, there's one other one that I think is really good that you wrote, which is an overview of the transfer portal. 
And you sort of broke them down into five-star, four-star, three-star, two-star in terms of the results that we've gotten from players who've been associated with the Florida program recently and have gone through the transfer portal. And the idea of answering the question of, is the transfer portal where you find gold or is the transfer portal where you find fool's gold? And are you better off focusing on high school recruiting or is the transfer portal a good place to really supplement your, your team? And I think, um, you know, I'm not sure that there's an answer to that question in the magazine, but I think there's a lot of interesting food for thought that when we talk about the, the transfer portal being a panacea, Hey, there are some places where you can get stronger, but if that's what you're waiting for, you're probably going to be waiting a really long time. So I thought that was a really cool breakdown sort of looking historically, you know, historically, Transfer portal has only been around for a few years, but looking historically at what's happened in the transfer portal, the results that have come out of the transfer portal, the guys who've transferred out of Florida and the guys who've transferred into Florida. And so all of that is is in the magazine and more. There's a whole lot. I mean, That's we look back. It's it's very much a Will Miles flavor in this magazine, everybody. I mean, Will, we went over the article ideas together and we we, we put this thing together. Uh, and uh, it, it's I, I really like the direction it ended up taking. And it's a lot different than the one we wrote last year. And it's a lot different than anything else you're going to find out there. Like you go to the maps thing, for example, found it fascinating that, yeah, Georgia's a problem down here. Tennessee did not come down here last cycle. I'm sure they were down here recruiting, did not pull out. You would think Tennessee would pull out a few guys out of Florida on most cycles. They, they're more active in Georgia and in state there in Tennessee, though. So I thought that was interesting because I haven't personally seen those things laid out in a map like that. And then with your place and everything, the QR code just pull up if, for those of you who don't, who aren't familiar with QR codes. Just pull up your phone, go to the photos, I- images, and, and like act, go like hover it over it like you're about to take a picture, and then just it'll pull up a link. You click the link, and you get to watch the play as you read along with Will's breakdown. It, it, I thought that was a great feature. So we we absolutely uh, we love those sections, and we wanted to give a little flavor of what's different about the magazine specifically. Uh, I mean, I, here, so. I think I love I love the back cover. It's got our logo on it. It's got all the championships that that Florida's won, um, national championships. And then be a smarter fan, right? That that's what we try to make the ethos of the website. What we try to make the ethos of this show is, you know, we want you to walk away with something that you're not going to get from other magazines, other shows, other websites. If we're not doing that, then you need to tell us. <laughs> but that's what we're trying to do here. So, you know, the idea that you can, so <laughs> those. Uh, those film breakdowns, those were not, those were a labor of love. I mean, you had to sit there and try to figure out what every defensive player did, why he was doing it that way, what the quarterback saw, and then, you know, seeing it usually from multiple angles if you were trying to figure out exactly where everybody went. And look, the interesting thing is when I look at that Tennessee game, I mean, Anthony Richardson threw for over 400 yards and he left a lot of stuff out there. And so there's been a lot of discussion about it, about uh, Billy Napier as an offensive coordinator. And I walk away from this breakdown specifically feeling much more comfortable with the Billy Napier offense, much more comfortable with where Florida's at, and honestly much more comfortable with Graham Mertz as a starting quarterback maybe um, than I would have before just because I saw what the offense was trying to do. So hopefully if you if you buy the magazine and go do that, but if you buy the magazine and read that, you'll come out of that as well. So you know, a couple of weeks ago I was on Gators Breakdown, you were making fun of me because I was telling people that – I think FanDuel had Florida at five and a half for over under. And I was like, oh, that's easy. You take the over on that. And, you know, that doesn't mean I think Florida's going to go 10 and two. But um, but I think based on, you know, at the time I was actually breaking that section down. I was finishing up that section and, and I was feeling really good about the offense's ability to move the ball. The question is going to be, 
when there's that time you have to fit it into a tight space, are they going to be able to do it? And that I don't know. And none of us have the answer to that question yet. But, um, you know, we also did a bunch of statistical stuff where we were looking at last year, the offense and the defense did it overperform or underperform. What should we expect from the defense this year, just given how bad it was last year? Um, all those sorts of things. So there, there's there's de- there's definitely a read and reaction flavor, I would hope, since, since you and I were sort of trying to make it that way. Um, and hopefully this will be something that helps people become smarter fans and and, you know, you guys are watching us and, and you read the website for a reason. And we tried to honor that with the magazine. Well, yeah. And and you want your copy again, go ahead and go to uh, readandreaction.com backslash mag, buy your copy today. Will, for the people that have bought it, we've had a lot of pre-orders for the people who have bought it. When can they expect it in the mail? Yeah. So it's going to be there next week. My, my kids are helping me pack them up. They just came in the mail today to me. So we're going to be packing them up into, into folders in the next day or two, getting them over to the post office and getting them out. So, uh, you know, the hope is, is that they'll be at your place um, sometime probably mid next week would be my guess. Um, might take a little bit longer depending upon USPS. If you need it right away, I had one person reach out to me specifically. They're going on vacation for Memorial Day. They want to read it while they're out there. I'll send you a PDF copy, right? So reach out to me directly if you want it at will at readandreaction.com. If you've already purchased a hard copy, we'll send you a PDF copy so you can get a hold of it and 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 read it over the holiday weekend. Yeah, and again, your email is will at readandreaction.com. Also, Will, one other thing we wanted to note, we want feedback on the magazine. One of the reasons we did a hard copy this year is because we got a lot of feedback last year saying, hey, good concept, really enjoyed reading it. I would like to hold it on, I'd like to go to the beach and be able to read it on a physical copy sometimes. And Will and I looked at each other and said, yeah, that's what we, we would like that better too. We prefer getting off our screens too. We work on screens all day as well. So we, we definitely understood that. And that's why we wanted to deliver a physical hard copy this year. So any type of feedback that we can get from everybody, it, it helps. It helps. And, and we will absolutely do our best to implement it and, and, and uh, you know, improve the product as we go. And look, I Father's Day is coming up pretty soon. I think this is a pretty cool gift for somebody who's a Gators fan. If you, if you got a father in your life that you want to get this to, I think that's a good opportunity. Like you said, we bought extras. So we we did our first print. We sort of gauged how many pre-orders we had. Thank you so much to everybody who pre-ordered. That means a ton yes. to us Thank that you. you that you allowed us to do that and sort of get a gauge for what to order. So we didn't order you know 50,000 of them and have 49,000 sitting in my, in my house <laughs> that weren't being read. But uh um, you know, we, we did over orders, so we've got, we've got extras here for people if they want to put in orders in the next week or two. But like you said, I mean, the goal isn't just to sell the ones we've got. We'd love to go do a second print. Um, certainly if you want to order it for your father for father's day, you can do that. And, uh, and look, I think the cool part is, is this is something that you'll be able to set in your house and set in your bathroom, set, set in your office. If you're a, if you're a doctor or an accountant or something like that and have people pick up and look and read and they can read it for, you know for six months, right? It, it's it, well, not six, but September, right? When, when the game at Utah starts, that'll sort of be when it's, when it's out of print, quote unquote, but you'll still be able to read the back. We made predictions about who's going to be in the playoff, who's going to win the Heisman trophy. So if nothing else, you'll be able to make fun of us when the end of the season comes in January, February. So it really <laughs> is a, you know, eight or nine month endeavor if you want to hold on to it for that long. And, and that's kind of cool too, right? I remember getting sports illustrated when I was a kid and you get the sports illustrated and the sports illustrated was kind of like, if it came to your house a couple of days late, it was already out of, uh, it, it was already, you know, just 
it, it wasn't relevant anymore, right. given with Sports Center and all that sort of stuff. You'd sort of already gone through that that cycle. So there was some cool stuff in there, but it wasn't really relevant. I, I'm really hoping that people find this relevant for an extended period of time, and hopefully even through the season. That's one of the reasons why I th- think the film breakdowns are really cool, is you can go back and say, I saw that play. I guarantee you the first play that I have in the Tennessee breakdown, you will see that in the game against Utah, like that concept, it's a, it's a concept where they're running um, crossing routes to get open against man to man. And then they're running a hook in, or a little hitch behind the crossing routes in case there's a zone, they will run that play against Utah. So if, if you get this magazine, you'll be able to see that play. And then when it happens against Utah, that's kind of cool when you see it. Cause I would expect it to happen on like a third and seven, third and eight. And you can be looking for that play when it comes, because it's going to come against Utah. It's a staple of the Napier offense. And it's something that Graham Mertz is going to be able to execute. So, uh, so hopefully that kind of stuff will be interesting to everybody out there. Well, we'll, we'll have a link in the description below. If you're interested, if you haven't bought a copy yet, uh, get, go ahead and get, get that copy because uh, once we finish with this first run, you'll have to wait for the second one. If you don't get in this first run here and we are uh we are running. We're starting to run a little low on the first run. We thought we were running extra, but we're starting to starting to run a little low on the first run here. But that's good. That's a good thing. Will good problem to have. Good problem to have. Good problem to have. So uh, absolutely fired up. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll we'll shift gears here and we'll go into six bits and we'll talk about the strength of schedule here. So according to ESPN, uh, their strength of schedule measurements here. Ole Miss has the top strength of schedule in the country, followed by Minnesota and Florida. Of course, Florida, you got the game at Georgia. You got Tennessee coming in and off a great season. But really with Florida, the thing that stands out in their schedule, Will, and then, of course, you got FSU as the non-conference this year. And, you know, people are talking about FSU as a dark horse playoff team. I'm not, but some people are. Uh, Road games at Utah, uh, Kentucky. South Carolina, who could be uh, South Carolina, could have a team this year. They finished pretty strong last year. LSU and then Mizzou, you know, that late season trip to Mizzou has never been all that friendly to Florida either. So, I the road schedule is just brutal this season. And I, I, you know, in addition to Georgia and Tennessee and FSU coming into the swamp, uh, with Tennessee and FSU coming to swamp Georgia, that neutral site in Jacks, by the way, Georgia and Florida extended the Jacksonville game through 24 and 25. No, we talked about that last week, so that was announced uh, earlier today. We're filming this Wednesday night. Uh, but, Will, those road games, man, Utah, Kentucky, South Carolina, LSU, Mizzou, I have a feeling that's a big, big reason why Florida has the third toughest schedule in the country. Yeah, I mean, look, it's an SEC schedule. And granted, it's the SEC East, but Tennessee and Kentucky have been better the last few years. Um, South Carolina, I think everybody expects to be a little bit better, especially with Spencer Rattler coming back. You've got Georgia, obviously, who's the behemoth, and those are, you know, those are four games before you even get to the fact that they're playing at LSU. And then they got Florida state and, and Utah bookending the entire season. So you've got two legit top 25, at least non-conference games. How many teams in the sec can say that? I'm not sure there's anybody in the sec who can say they have two legitimate, um, you know, like Utah, I don't think anybody thinks it's going to win the national title or be in the playoff, but Florida state, like you mentioned, there are people who are sitting there penciling them in, penciling in Jordan Travis for a Heisman run and all that sort of stuff. So early on, I can see exactly why people would, would, would have Florida as the toughest schedule. The, the one that's a joke there is the Minnesota one. They're obvious. They're, they're clearly penalizing Minnesota from a toughness perspective based on their, their perception of Minnesota because it's Nebraska, Eastern Michigan at North Carolina. That's a tough game. 
then at Northwestern, okay, whatever, Louisiana, then Michigan, but that one's at home, at Iowa, Iowa can't score, Michigan State, Illinois, at Purdue, and then at Ohio State and Wisconsin. So to their credit, they are playing a bunch of difficult teams in the Big in the Big Ten, but it's the Big Ten. So if you tell me you got Georgia at LSU, at Kentucky and Tennessee versus Michigan at Iowa, at Ohio State and at North Carolina, eh, I'm I'm inclined to put Florida ahead of uh, ahead of Minnesota there. Well, the number four toughest uh, schedule in the nation is Maryland. What conference do they play in again? Will? Yeah, oh, the, the Big Ten. That, oh yeah, and then uh, and then Auburn at number five. So you got all SEC and Big Ten there in top five. So that they're pretty consistent. Uh, if you look at Ole Miss, their schedule they they open with Mercer. They go on the road to Tulane, who of course went to the Cotton Bowl, had a solid solid year last year. They got Georgia Tech coming to Vaught Hemingway, but then this stretch will for Ole Miss. At Alabama versus LSU versus Arkansas. They have a bye week before they go to Auburn. Vanderbilt comes into Vaught. Then you got Texas AM at home on the road at Georgia. That is quite a stretch. They they finished with ULM and on the road at Mississippi State. But man, that is a tough stretch for Lane Kiffin. Now I know they got those three quarterbacks in or, you know through the transfer portal the last couple of years here, but that's gonna be a tough, tough ask for the old Miss Rebels. So the number one toughest schedule in the co- country. What do you think about that compared to Florida? I mean, it's close. I think the non-conference schedule for Florida, obviously a significant win considering you got Mercer Tulane versus Georgia Tech um, and ULM mm-hmm. for, uh, for, for Ole Miss. Um, but Florida has some, has some cupcakes too. I mean, right. They've got McNeese and they've got Charlotte. So it's not like they don't have any cupcakes. I think the Georgia tech versus Florida state um, and the at Tulane versus at Utah, I think Florida wins that pretty clearly. The difference is they're getting a lot of credit for being in the sec West, right? So mm-hmm. at Alabama and LSU, but look, Florida plays LSU and plays at LSU versus Arkansas, Florida plays Arkansas versus Vanderbilt, Florida plays Vanderbilt. So A&M, and Auburn are the two that they're really getting credit for because they play Georgia as well. And Florida plays Georgia Vers- So that's the question is, is that, um, you know, are A&M and, and Auburn really that more, much more difficult than South Carolina, Kentucky, and Tennessee is kind of the question. It's close, but I, I, I would give Florida the nod just because of the non-conference on both sides. Like they intentionally made their schedule difficult versus versus old Miss, who just sort of fell into their schedule being difficult. You're right. That that things taking off. I mean, it, it's not a lot of break. They play Mercer to start with. And if Tulane turns out to be good, Georgia Tech turns out to be just like a solid power five team. And then at Alabama, LSU, Arkansas, and Auburn, okay, now that's that's a tough stretch. But look, Auburn's changing coaches. You got Georgia Tech changing coaches. Alabama obviously is still going to be breaking in whoever's taking over for Bryce Young. LSU, they were kind of lucky in some one-score games last year. They weren't necessarily a dominant team, especially early in the year. Yeah, I guess um, you can argue better to catch those guys early. Yeah, too. I mean, so I, I think, um, you know, and we're assuming Texas A&M is going to bounce back. And um, I think everybody expects Georgia to be really good. But, um, you know, the reality is, is that these are really close. I think, again, the the east versus the west distinction is what's giving old miss an edge here in these particular rankings but um 
I think a lot of it depends on how good Utah is and how good Florida State is as well. If those ends up, if those guys end up as two top fifteen teams, then I think what you're going to find at the end of the year is Florida's probably played five or six top twenty five teams, and a bunch of them on the road. And you know, Ole Miss. I don't know that Arkansas is going to end up in the top 25. I don't think Auburn's going to end up in the top 25. I don't think Vanderbilt's going to end up in the top 25. I think AM probably ends up right on the outskirts of the top 25. So you're really looking at, and Mississippi State's breaking in a new coach too in the Egg Bowl. So if you think Mississippi State's going to take a, take a step back, then you're really talking about Georgia, LSU, and Alabama being the three ranked teams they may end up playing by the end of the year. Now they may be, you know, number one, number three, and number seven or something, but, um, you know, it's it's not like a guarantee that they're going to play 17 ranked teams this no, year. No, to your point, Florida is certainly in the ballpark. But, you know, you, you point out specifically with the non-conference schedule with Utah, the presence of Utah and the presence of Florida State. I was a huge proponent of Scott Strickland going out and scheduling these, increasing our, our non-conference schedule for with teams like Notre Dame coming up in a few years. You got Utah, this two-game series with Utah. That Utah game was awesome last year. I love kicking off the season with Utah. I don't care if we go to Salt Lake City and they end up whooping us. Like that is way better than playing a, you know, Northeast Texas Tate, like uh, some school you're going to, Florida's never played in the history of the program. Some garbage school that Florida, it's a meaningless, like uh, 70 to seven type of game. And you can't really tell much from it anyway. So like, I would much rather see Florida Go out and get that game against Utah early, especially this team. And I, I again, it might not help the win loss record. It might not help the win loss record this year, but this team's going to be sharp, sharper going into that Tennessee game, going into that Kentucky game. Of course, last year they did fall flat on on their face after Utah, didn't they, against Kentucky? So I I, I already hear the comments on that. But for a team that's in it, like there's breaking in a lot of new players this year. I do think it's a good thing to go face that Utah team on the road early on, because I'll tell you what, what should happen in that situation is you go face a team like Utah in Salt Lake city. What's going to bother you the rest of the season. Like that's a tough, that's a tough game out to shoot. And this team's going to get some good experience right out of the gate. I, I, I love it. I love Scott Strickland's philosophy with these tough games. And I think it makes Florida a more interesting program on, on a national level. Yeah, well, I mean, it's certainly more difficult than Georgia. You 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 told me to hold off on Georgia's schedule, so we'll let, let you read it to me. Let me react as you read off Georgia's schedule as we uh, contemplate whether they'll be prepared for Ohio State on New Year's Eve again this year. So, so Georgia, the mighty Georgia Bulldogs, and and mind you, I will give Georgia this: they were, I believe, they were supposed to play Oklahoma this year, and the SEC had them cancel that home and home because of what's coming up next year with Oklahoma, but. They did not go out of their way to fill it in. Uh, UT Martin, Ball State, UAB, and Georgia Tech. That Georgia Tech rivalry, it, it's a given. It's built in. It, it hasn't been much uh, of late. Um, but uh, UT Martin, Ball State, and UAB, that that is who st- is standing in the way of the Georgia Bulldogs in the non-conference schedule. Uh, a little different than Utah and Florida State. A little different. A little bit. Yeah. So, so- – George is gonna to George is just gonna walk through their non-conference schedule. Who are the West opponents for Georgia next year? The West opponents for Georgia. Well, we know Ole they got Miss. they got Ole Miss. We know they got Ole Miss here. I didn't. I don't. And then Auburn. I'm schedule. assuming. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, they always play Auburn. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So so they, so they get Lane and they get a uh, and an Auburn team. Ole that's Miss re- is that's home, so I would assume is uh, are they going to Jordan Hare then? 
Yeah. I would assume. Was, oh God. Yeah. Jeez. Well, I don't know. Maybe um, Hugh Freeze will have him. Uh, maybe Hugh Freeze will have the Tigers being a little frisky. You know, you know, you know, Auburn comes out of nowhere. Whenever they're good, they come out of nowhere. So, well, you also have to be honest about all this stuff. Is that Missouri is the team other than Ohio State that gave them the biggest run for their money last year? Yeah. And inevitably, that's the way it works in college football. Is it, unless you're head and shoulders better than everybody, you always have one or two close calls. Like if you think about the Alabama team with with um, with Terrence Cody having to block the field goal against uh, having to block the field goal against uh, Tennessee. You think about Tennessee last year losing that game to 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 um, South Carolina. Right. That was a team that maybe could have made the playoff and just couldn't avoid that. That one wasn't really a close call. They got blown out. But, you know, a game where you should win and you just don't, um, you know, and, and Kirby's had a lot of those in his time at Georgia. Obviously, he's been able to get over the hump the last couple of years, but the Alabama games over the last few years. And you got to imagine that Saban is a little bit perturbed that his protege is uh, is is getting a lot of pub for having the best program now. So, um, look, you still got to win the SEC championship when you win the East. And so that one's coming. And then you got the playoff games and we saw it last year, right? I think Georgia was clearly a better team than Ohio state when it comes down to it in terms of yeah. like the overall body of work. But in one game, when the athletes are pretty close, all of a sudden you end up in a game that's a 50, 50 proposition. And look, if they'd have kicked that field goal one second earlier, or, or if he hadn't completely hooked it, or maybe if Ryan day hadn't gone into a shell and stopped gaining yards when, when he couldn't be stopped and gotten closer in those last, you know, 30 or 40 seconds, that game's a whole lot different. And we're talking about the Georgia Bulldogs being, uh, being the national or national semifinal final losers this year, rather than the evil empire that they've become. But look, that's the way football goes, right? You win those one score games and you get all the glory and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully that starts to turn itself around this year. Well, yeah, to, to their credit, I do believe they, for the Georgia fans out there, I do believe they scheduled Oklahoma this year. But man, that what a joke of a. I give, I give them no credit. The, the, the schedule, schedule is that. a joke. It's all their fault. That's a joke. They were, they, 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 they agreed to Oklahoma coming into the conference because they wanted to duck them. That's, that's what I'm, go- <laughs> that's that's what I'm going with. All right. We'll, we'll, it's a little bit twisted, but we'll go with it. All right. All right. Let's go on here to a dollar. Billy Napier uh, speaking this week. Let, let's go into from Kevin Brockaway at the Gainesville Sun. Florida football coach Billy Napier said, the plan remains for the Gators to add a fourth scholarship quarterback even after the end of the spring transfer portal window has left a few has left few options remaining. Uh, there are some li- limitations relative to what we can say publicly about that, but still intend to do that, Napier said before speaking at a fight and Gator touchdown uh, club gathering Monday night in Gainesville. The lack of viable remaining transfer options has fueled speculation that Florida could dip into the high school ranks and convince four-star class of 2025 quarterback commit Austin Simmons to reclassify for 2023. Uh, Simmons, of course, the lefty quarterback out of Pahokee. We talked about him a couple months ago when he committed. Will this kid's got great tape and he's eligible to graduate because he's done a great job in school. He's taken the, the enough uh, he's got enough credits to graduate. So he, he is eligible to graduate despite only he's a rising junior this season, class of 2025. Right. So that's an interesting situation there. And uh, I think it speaks volumes about what Billy Napier thinks he saw during the spring practice window. I heard a great interview this week on the Gator nation football podcast with Billy Napier. They had, they had Napier on the show. Those guys do a great job over there at the Gator Nation football podcast, but they got to sit down with Napier this week. And one of the things he did kind of mention through, through the spring game, he's like, I know people might be panicked, 
it's not totally fair to measure these guys based on the little window we get to see them in the spring game. However, the conversation was pretty has been pretty consistent all offseason. So like what if if what you saw in the spring game surprised any you like I just don't think you're really paying attention to what was going on in terms of the conversation before that. And look, for all we know, Graham Mertz can come in and play the type of football we've not seen him play yet. Certainly guys can develop, certainly guys can grow. But odds are we know who Graham Mertz is. Odds are we know who Jack Miller is. Uh, you know, again, there's always room for development. But the fact that Napier is continuing this conversation and out there publicly stating that they are looking to add a four-star uh, scholarship quarterback, uh, to me, that I, I do think that sounds like Austin Simmons because we were talking about before, who are you getting in the transfer portal right now? It's pretty bleak right now unless something comes open this summer. Well, I mean, and, and what are you getting by having having somebody come in for the start of fall camp, right? Are you really right. getting somebody who's going to be ready to start um, given what's going to shake loose? Now, look, maybe some guys decide that after the summer they want to transfer because they're going to be playing behind somebody and or they're not sure they're going to win the job or whatever, right? I don't know. Like Emory Jones transferred what a week into spring practice after Napier came in, but that sort of meant that he wasn't eligible to come in and, and play with Arizona State until until fall camp. That one didn't go great for Arizona State, but still those sorts of things, those sorts of opportunities might exist. But yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think when he talks about a fourth scholarship quarterback, that Simmons has been somebody who's been brought up over and over about reclassifying. It's not this is somebody who's used to starting young. So he actually got into a little bit of trouble back in back in high school because he was starting as an eighth grader. And then they I think the story is they like made him sit out some of the games his freshman year because he was they decided to sort of compromise and basically sit him out for the number of games that he had played as an eighth grader. Um, and he played pretty well as an eighth grader. And then his freshman year and sophomore year put up, you know, 66% completion with 12 yards per attempt as freshman year, 67% completion with 13 yards per attempt as sophomore year. Those are numbers that surpass Rashada and they surpass DJ Lagway, who's the five-star recruit in 2024 that everybody's excited about. So you talk about a guy who seems to have the maturity to start early. I mean, I think that's what happens when you're an eighth grader who has to start with juniors and seniors on the varsity team. Certainly when you watch the tape he's somebody who has a lot of arm strength and isn't just using his arm strength to get people open i i have an article about maybe two months ago on read and reaction where we were break, where i was breaking down austin simmons specifically um looked at some of the film looked at some of the stuff that that he was doing it's not just little dinks and dunks and somebody's taking it the other direction it's not that he's just gunning it in it's not that he's throwing into double or triple coverage but he's able to get it in there because of his arm like he's doing like real quarterback things where he's reading the defense going to the right place and that's how you end up with 67 percent completion percentage this has always been my contention and why i spend so much time and energy harping on completion percentage is that on every play at the high school and college level there's somebody open mm -hmm. the question is can you find them right you can almost because there's such limited amount of time people can practice there's almost no way that if you scheme a play right that someone's not going to come open but you have to know what the defense is doing you have to be able to read the defense and you have to know your offense well enough to know where your guys are going in relation to what the defense is trying to do to be able to find that guy. So a guy like Danny Werfel, who didn't have the best arm that we've ever seen, is able to be one of the best college quarterbacks ever. A guy like Tim Tebow, who didn't have the best release and didn't have the best arm we've ever seen, is able to be one of the best quarterbacks ever, able to throw the ball and move the ball consistently in many ways because they were able to find the guy who was open. Now, look, it's easy when you have Percy Harvin running down the field to find him open. 
it's easy when you've got, you know, <laughs> when you've got Ike and, and, and Reed L and those guys running free as well, but still they're open. Right. And that's the thing is I think when you watch the film of a quarterback, you want to see, is he throwing to people who are in tight coverage and he's just able to get it in there? Or is he throwing to a guy who's running free, who's wide open? And when you watch the tape on Simmons, you see the latter way more than you see the former. And and I think that bodes well for his ability to step in. Now, is he going to step in against Utah? I don't know why you bring him okay. in. Okay. That that was the next question, Will. Graham Mertz, what's what give me percentages here with your feel. Graham Mertz starts against Utah. What's your percentage chance of that happening? 75? Yeah, yeah, I'm up I'm up around I'll, I'll even go I'll, I'll go 75 80% on that. Now, let's say let's skip ahead. Let's go to Graham Mertz starts against Kentucky. 60? Grand March starts against Georgia. Uh, Made a quarterback 20, change in that game 20, a couple years yeah, ago, didn't 20. we? <laughs> <laughs> that could be the new tradition, make the quarterback change in that game. Yeah, so I, we're, we're thinking along the well, same lines. So there I, I, in terms of, it might not be Georgia. I'm just throwing an example out that I think Graham Mertz is going to be the guy to start the season, even if you bring Simmons in or, or you know, scholarship player X, whoever in the transfer portal. Mertz has been here he, in, throughout the spring. He, you know, he's gotten nothing but compliments from the staff about how he's worked in the playbook and everything. And I do think he's going to have the opportunity to win this job and to prove it on the field. And he's going to get that from day one. And if he comes out and plays well against Utah and plays well against uh, Tennessee early on, he could put the quarterback conversation to bed for the season. Yeah. I think the, the thing is, is that, um, it, I don't know that you bring in someone and reclassify them two years earlier to just have them redshirt and play for three or four games, like mm-hmm. play against, you know, to play against, uh, you know, I agree, play against McNeese State and play against Charlotte. Like you're bringing, like, why would you do that at that point? Now maybe you could make the contention that hey, you you go through the Georgia game and then you start a Arkansas, LSU, Missouri, and Florida State to get those four games in. But again, like, and, and that's the worry or that's the concern. Remember what happened a couple of years ago when Dan Mullen played Anthony Richardson just for a little bit against USF and against uh, FAU? Mm-hmm. And he made all these explosive plays. And we sat there and said, oh, he's better than Emory Jones. Why isn't he playing? And you don't want to put yourself in that situation, right? You don't want to put Mertz in that situation either, where you've got where you've got a kid who's in there who's able to perform in the little package that he has, but not able to necessarily lead the entire offense. Now, I think we saw inconsistency from Anthony Richardson last year, but I also think we saw an explosion from him that we saw the year before as well. So I don't know if there was a lot of development from 2021 to 2022, but I think we would have seen way more excitement had we had Anthony Richardson in there for the lion's share of the snaps there in 2021. And, and uh, you know, so that's going to be the, the drumbeat, right? The drumbeat will be if, if Austin Simmons comes in, classifies early, it's going to be when does he start? And so the problem is, is you've got McNeese and Charlotte, which is where you'd probably like to get him some snaps or even a transfer quarterback where you'd like to get him some snaps. But the minute you get him some snaps then everybody goes, well, this person's ready. If they show any sort of success in those games against teams that are clearly overmatched, well, now does the drumbeat become loud like it did for Dan Mullen? And I'm not saying that Napier's going to be suffer the same fate as Mullen, but in terms of like the trust that the fan base that eroded a lot when Mullen didn't switch over to Anthony Richardson like halfway through the year in 2021. If he just switched over at quarterbacks, 
I think he probably gets another year just because he would have sort of satisfied it. Like if Anthony Richardson, if he switched over to him earlier than that Georgia game, and if Richardson had fallen flat, I think everybody would have said, oh, yeah, he saw that. The problem is he put him in in that Georgia game. He looks overmatched, but we're all sitting there going, well, that's not fair to give him his first start against Georgia. And then Richardson couldn't stay healthy for the back end, and so you never really got to see that potential. So that'll be the balance, right, is figuring out how do you bring in a guy and bring him along without making the hype so high. Like if you think about that Eastern Washington game last year, if that had been the first game of the year and Rich should have gone out and thrown for 350 yards in two and a half quarters and put up the stats he did against Eastern Washington to open the season, boy, what would the expectations have been, right? Um, now, granted, he played really, really well against Utah, and that sort of raised the expectations, and then everything fell from there. But but that's kind of what I think you have to weigh. You have to weigh um, the readiness of the player who comes in, the buy-in that you're going to get from the rest of the team, considering that you've had, uh, you know, a, an experienced quarterback in there ever since spring camp. And so all that stuff's going to have to be weighed. And, and I don't think it's as simple as Simmons is slightly better. I think he'd have to be a definitive better choice to really be starting by the time you get to Georgia. Now, I, I suspect that if Mertz struggles, you're going to end up with some Jack Miller and you may end up with some Max Brown too. Um, and so when you start talking about percentages as the season goes along, I do start to think that the percentages go down that that he's going to be able to that he's going to start every game along the way. I think Florida is probably going to have to try out a few different things at quarterback, and I don't know that that's necessarily going to be the fourth scholarship quarterback. It may be the second one or the third one. I th- I think we're going to see some Jack Miller throughout this year too. I think we're going to he's going to get his opportunity. He bring I think he brings enough of a difference from Mertz that if Mertz doesn't light it up, that why wouldn't you give Miller an opportunity at, at certain stretches? Here's my big question with Simmons. I understand why it makes sense for the Gators to bring a kid like this in. If Billy Napier feel feels like he's ready and he were to reclassify, clearly Napier's happy with it and satisfied with what he sees and feels like the kid's ready to go fine i understand why it makes would make sense for the gators but if you're austin simmons camp if you're in the simmons camp does it make sense to to jump in a year this early to to sacrifice two years of high school development i mean you think about most kids most kids don't even play varsity football until their junior year of high school will most most football players don't even see the field till their junior year in high school and the varsity level. So this kid would be playing SEC football in his junior year high school. Uh, I know he's a little bit older, right? 17 for a sophomore, for a junior. That, that's on the older side, I believe, for a junior. But, man, this kid, it, I, I don't know if, if I'm in his camp that that's the best decision to reclassify. I think you, you, you take that extra year to develop. Maybe you come next year with lap, but then you're coming in with lagway. Why not take – I would almost just take the two years and continue to develop in high school, and then you come in and you're really seasoned and really ready to go for college. I, I, I don't know if I see why it would make a ton of sense unless they feel like, oh, this guy's absolutely got an NFL feature. Let's start the clock on that. Let's get him in there for the three years. We saw a situation a couple of years ago where Quinn Ewers went to Ohio State for one year, took the NIL money, and then he's a Texas guy, transfers home to Texas. Could this be a situation like that too? I don't know. I'm speculating, completely speculating on that, but that would be a reason why you'd want to start the clock early and get in and start earning that NIL money. Well, I mean, that's the, that's the reason, right? I mean, if, if you, if you can, so the reality is, is that for elite, elite quarterbacks, NIL money has gotten to a point where it's now life-changing money. And so if you're a quarterback who's 17 years old and somebody wants you to reclassify and you can get that NIL money earlier, do it. 
Like I don't begrudge anybody that. But if, if he's your kid, is that aren't you more concerned about what's best for him? Right. No. And, that, and that's the question I'm asking. Is that is it best for Austin Simmons to reclassify? Well, I mean, so the, this is something like so the NBA makes you go to college for a year. Right. And there are plenty of guys who pretend. Well, what was that? What was the Cardale Jones quote like that? He plays college. Or something to, I didn't like come that. here to play school. <laughs> yeah. I'm here to play football. <laughs> exactly. So let, let's be honest about what a lot of these guys are doing. Right. 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 And I think it I think it depends. Now, Simmons is a smart kid. Right. Getting out of high school. <clears throat> getting out of high school early, being able to reclassify all that sort of stuff. Um, and so perhaps the, the education aspect of it is something he really values. But, um, but look, I think this is all, I struggle to tell anyone what to do when they have an opportunity to make life-changing money. Like if somebody offered me 5 million bucks for read and reaction tomorrow, sorry, Nick, like you're out. <laughs> Like, yeah, I mean, not really, but you know what I mean? Like, like somebody can't say, well, is that what's best for the website? Is that what's best for, for Will personally? You're, a, you're a, an old man, Will. Like, <laughs> I, 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 like it's not, I, I'm not talking about you. You're in business. You're an old man. I'm talking about a kid. I'm talking my kid, about a my kid kids that's got my, two years left of high school. That kid, I, I, I just think at the quarterback position, a little more seasoning, a little more development probably doesn't hurt. But if you got Billy Napier saying, "Now nah, he's ready to go, let's do it," I, I understand my, it. So I, my kid, I'm just my so, the question. I'm just asking so my the kid, question. my kid's eleven. He's not good enough for this sort of stuff. But if he was like Bryce Harper, right? When Bryce Harper was eleven, it was jacking the ball all over the place, and was it like a clear, you know, first round draft pick? And somebody offered him millions of dollars to go play travel baseball all over the place. Would I quit my job and travel around with my kid? Absolutely. Um, and would I sit there and go, look, like in order to do this, we have to be able to pay for your brothers and sisters stuff and things like that. So some of his money is going to go to pay for expenses for other people around because he's not mature enough to travel around because he's 11. But look, I mean, Sim is 17 years old. I was 17 when I went to Florida, right? I, I happened to be young for my age and happened to, or for my grade, got out of high school and, and I was 17 heading to Gainesville. Now I will say that I didn't make the best choices the first six months I was up there in Gainesville. And so, you know, um, there were some consequences for those choices <laughs> from my parents after they saw my first set of grades. But, but the reality is there are plenty of 17 year old people who go to the university of Florida and go to colleges all over the place. The idea that we're going to say, well, I know what's better for you. You should wait till you're 19 to come here. Um, as opposed to just getting started when you're 17, like all you're at. So, I mean, so let's, let's flip it. He's a quarterback. What if he was a running back? Would you say he needs two more years of development and take two more years no, with the hits? Well, I, or would you say, hey, let's get... quarterback. I'm asking the question. That's a good point. Because if it's, if this guy's like a linebacker, who's, Totally de physically developed and ready to rock and roll. I feel a little bit differently. If it's a well, running so back, I feel a little bit differently. But it is the quarterback position. You do have to lead these guys too. There, it, there is a leadership component at the quarterback position. So that's 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 why I asked the question. I, I do think you have to have extra consideration for the quarterback position in this case. I mean. Look, I think he's he's going to be an excellent player. Whether he'll be an excellent player in 2023 or not is what we're trying to answer. Um, and only he and Napier know that, right? I mean, right. Th there are some 17-year-olds. You'll hear people talk about it, and You even see that. So I got four kids. There are two right now who, when they're 17, I'm sure they'll be mature enough to be able to make decisions that, for the most part, are the best for them. Um, I don't know about the two-year-old yet, but the eight-year-old, uh-uh. 
Like he's not going to be allowed to make decisions even when he's 17. And <laughs> I love that kid and he's going to be awesome and he's going to do great things. But I already know like him in a fraternity when he's 18 or 19 years old, it's going to be bad news. And so, you know, like we're going to have to work extra hard to make sure that he understands like decisions and decision-making and things like that. Would I let him go early? Probably not. Would I let my older daughter go? Absolutely. Cause she's always been an old soul. Like when she was 11 years old, she was way more mature than most 17 and 18 year olds I know. And so I wouldn't have a problem with that. And so if Simmons is that kind of person and his parents look at him and he's that kind of person, and if he can make life-changing money and he can go, execute his dream at the university of florida and you got and billy he, napier green lighting the decision and if he makes it to the yeah. nfl well then that second contract comes up when he's 23 or 24 years old it, it's not a coincidence that a guy like hendon hooker went as late as he did in the draft it's not a coincidence that stetson bennett was never really much of a prospect and some of that has to do with with physical skills and abilities and things like that but look i mean some of it has to do with the fact that when you're 27 years old going to the nfl that if it's going to take three years to develop you into an nfl quarterback you're 30 by the time you start playing mm -hmm. if you play four or five years and you're 35 when you start declining okay well i didn't get much out of that draft pick whereas if you're 19 or 20 years old when someone drafts you well now all of a sudden it takes five years to develop you you become an elite quarterback at 25 and now we get you for a decade before you start to decline that makes a much bigger difference and so look most of the quarterbacks who come out are in the 21 to 22 year old range if you get out when you're 20 that gives you an advantage. And we saw that with Richardson this year. I think Richardson got drafted high because of his physical skills, but also because of his youth. If he was 24 years old and was and was having accuracy problems, I think people would have viewed that differently. So Simmons, in some ways, is going to have a built-in excuse is the wrong word, but he's going to have a built-in um, hedge where if he doesn't play all that well but still shows the physical skills, everybody's going to say, well, I just need to get him into my program, and then he'll be able. To, those skills will be able to shine. So I, I think it's a relatively low-risk endeavor, especially if the NIL money is significant enough to where even if you never made it to the NFL, you'd be set. And I'm sitting there going, why wouldn't you take that two years early? Well, In the stock market, I, it'll be better for you. I, the key part of everything that you said there is if you do bring him in and he's not starting – by the Tennessee game, say, then what was the point? Yeah. Like, I, I, I'd like to see him if he's going to come in early. I'd like to see him early. I'd like. Well, to, I mean, I'd like to see him early. I think there's a lot of value in having him and Lagway compete, right? Yeah. And if he thinks he can get a, if he thinks he can get a step up on Lagway, because. 2023 is not going to be a national championship year. I said earlier, I think Florida is going to be better than the five and a half that FanDuel has them at for the over under, but I don't think they're going 10 and three. I don't think they're going 11 and two. I think that 2024 is where you target, you know, Napier in terms of his recruiting class for 2024, it looks awesome so far. You look at Lagway coming in, that looks great. He's got linebackers finally coming in who are, who are borderline four-star, five-star guys. And then, if he can pull another guy like Jeremiah Smith at wide receiver, all of a sudden that combined with the wide receivers that are that he brought in this year, now you've got the makings of a really elite team. And so you're going to need somebody to pull the trigger for that elite team. And now you've got two shots. It could be Austin Simmons with a year in the system, DJ Lagaway coming in, real competition, and whoever wins that battle, even if the other one transfers out, whoever wins that battle assures you that you're going to get really good to elite quarterback play for three years. 
and that's what you're going to need in order to build a program in the SEC. And, and you know, given where the recruiting's been for Florida, that's really what they're going to need. And so I understand it from that standpoint. So if, if Simmons reclassifies early, comes in, and get, just gets kind of mop-up duty in a couple of games, gets a couple of throws, people are going to get antsy. But the reality is, is that it's a 2024 play for everything for Florida and the program right now. And so we need to look at it. That's one of the reasons why – I've looked at recruiting and harped on recruiting, not necessarily because I'm disappointed in the recruiting, though at times I am. It's because you can't continually roll through coaches if you're seeing the same problem and just keep blaming the coaches. The fact that Napier is now seeing a consistent increase in his player rating from 2021 to 2020 or from 2022's class to 2023 class to now 2024's class, where on an average player rating, it's up there with Alabama and Georgia. If he can maintain that, well, we have to be patient to allow us to see the fruits of that. The problem is, is that most coaches have seen that giant jump in year two, and you kind of see a dip in your third year in terms of performance. So we need to be patient with Billy Napier this year and next year because what he's building is going to come to fruition in 2025 and 2026. The question is, is the Florida fan base going to have that level of patience? Other programs historically have not, which is why that second recruiting class is so critical. Well, I mean, we've seen what happened with that second recruiting class. It's good, but not great. And so, you know we're going to have to delay everything and there's delayed gratification. And I think you're going to see the same thing with Simmons. He's going to come in. We're all going to sit there and go, or if he comes in, we're all going to sit there and go, yes, he should start right away. The first time Mertz throws an interception. I don't know that that's the right thing to do. I think we're going to have to be patient with Simmons, patient with Lagway and patient with Napier. If we want to give Napier a real shot to turn this thing around. Patience, huh? I don't know. No, I, I I very much agree with that point. I very much agree with that point. We got to have big picture outlook on this 2023 season, and look, I it, it can be a stepping stone to building something. Seasons like this, you look back on when you win those titles, and you look back on seasons like this and go, oh, that was important. That was a piece. That there was something that happened there that mattered toward this championship. So that's what you got to you got to adopt that type of attitude at times with some of these seasons. And uh, I know we are a championship level program at Florida and we don't, these are not the seasons that we uh, jump out of bed for or all psyched. But at the same time, there, there's a lot of work that needed to be done. And Billy Napier is bringing in, Hey, how about bringing in having the problem of having two elite quarterbacks heading into 2024? That's a pretty nice problem to have. So this is a good discussion overall. Uh, certainly, uh, if Simmons does decide to reclassify, it'll be exciting to watch how that turns out. But it, interesting, interesting move at, at a tough position to do that. Uh, and so, but if Napier thinks he's ready to go, he's ready to go. We'll see. How look, Simmons reclassification is all about hope. And yeah. at this point I'm up for anything that provides hope. And so, um, you know, that that's what recruiting is. Recruiting is about hope. That's what building stuff. So I mean, if Napier goes eight and four this year, I think everybody's going to look at that and say he went eight and four and now look at what we have coming in. Right. So there's, there's a story that can be built and a narrative that can be built. Look, narrative doesn't always match reality. And we need to be honest about that. Sometimes the narrative is not, um, it, sometimes the narrative exists, but it doesn't match reality. And so um, I think that's one of the things that we try to do with film and stats is look at it and say, does the narrative actually make sense given what we're seeing on the field? And, 
you know, that that's that's what's going to happen with Simmons. Simmons, if he if he reclassifies, he's going to bring hope to the program. That doesn't mean he's going to be excellent in 2023. That doesn't mean Florida's going to be in the playoff. Um, but it means that we're going to get to see something that's interesting. And I say this all the time, which is that some of my favorite seasons are the ones that kind of popped up out of nowhere where you could see the build and then all of a sudden you see the success. So like the 2012 season under Will Muschamp is one of my favorites because Florida wasn't very good in 2011. And then 2012, they almost made the playoff, right? You got the the big win over Manziel and Texas A&M. And then you got the game where Jordan Reed fumbles the ball going in against Georgia. And that, that season specically not, is not, one that's a playoff, up. the BCS national championship. Yeah, BCS championship yeah. game. There was no playoff. Top they two. You're almost in the top two if you but, don't fumble that ball on the goal line there. They would have made the playoff if there was a oh, fourteen playoff that, that year. I was at that so, game. That but my point is there was there was a there was a game that year that I distinctly remember where they just ran over LSU. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking away from that game going, that was awesome. Like to see the team just impose their will on LSU and blow them off the ball. And then later on, I think it was that same year was the one where Antonio Morrison just completely lit up EJ Manuel and, and they fumbled, and Florida state fumbled the ball. And then they did the same thing to Florida state, right? It was Gillisley who just all of a sudden Gillisley, was blowing yeah. through, yeah. who was just blowing through the Florida state defense. And that, one, that was sort of what we expected Will Muschamp to be, like hard-nosed defense and then run the ball. Um, Jeff Driscoll was somebody who came in in that season and, and played just well enough. So you get some surprises sometimes, and I think that's the thing, is that for programs like Georgia maybe five, six years ago, to see that build, I can't imagine how miserable they were. And actually, I kind of can because I was making fun of them at the time when when Tua hit that pass down the sideline on the broken coverage, right? But that play specifically, I guarantee you, if you talk to a Georgia fan, like the championships over the last two years make that play and that right. experience worth it. Different perspective that, on that play now, right? And that's all we're going through right now, right? Mm-hmm. And the question is, can Napier get us to a point where this year and last year and the year after this start to become that thing that we look at and say those were rungs on the ladder right. rather than just we were sitting on a treadmill moving? And that was the thing with Muschamp, with McIlwain, with Mullen, we're, we were on a treadmill. We weren't actually going anywhere. We were just sitting there hoping, and there wasn't a reason to. There's real reason to hope with Billy Napier based on the recruiting trail, based on the quarterbacks, all that sort of stuff. And so, look, I think we're going to enjoy – I think we're going to look back three, four years from now and say those were rungs on the ladder. Now, we're lower on the ladder than we'd like to be, and that and that stinks. But from a hope perspective, I hope people um, – I hope people still support the program and, and go out and, and sell that place out because I, I think there's still good reason to hope. Yeah, plenty of great – home games this year as we as we went over well let's see that magazine one more time one more time you can Where? go to read and reaction.com slash mag that's readreaction.com slash mag um like you said thank you so much to everybody who's pre-ordered we really really appreciate the support um but i got boxes of those things sitting in my living room right now we're going to pack those up get those out this week and uh and you should expect it in your mailbox sometime next week or go order it and we'll get it to you as soon as we can All right, everybody, we appreciate the support once again. We'll see you next weekend. Enjoy. uh, Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Enjoy the long holiday weekend. And uh, go Gators. Go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction. 
or you can go to patreon.com slash read and reaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anything over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.